Today's podcast is all about dispensing GP practices. That is GPs that are not only GPs, but also can dispense medications to their patients. And it's not an area that's well understood, even within GPs. And it's not an area that's well taught at all, which is why we're delighted to be joined by an absolute expert on the podcast today. And this expert will also be teaching a five-module bonus session on our Medics Money New to Partnership course. The next course starts on the 5th of October, and we do currently still have some spaces available. So if you're interested in coming, you need to apply now at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course. The course will be useful for all partners, young and old, whether they are GPs, pharmacists, practice manager partners, physio partners, advanced nurse practitioners partners, and there is PCN funding available. So check out the link for details. And if you do miss the deadline for our 5th of October course, we've been blown away by the demand for this and there will definitely be another course. So if you just apply now, we'll keep you in the loop of when the next course is gonna be. As ever, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you find this useful. And if you do, don't forget to share it with your friends. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the Medics Money podcast today, Dr. Philip Kuperwitz. Hi, Philip. Hi, Tommy. How are you? I'm really good, actually. And I'm excited to talk about today's topic because it's something that lots of GPs aren't taught very well. And it's also something that other doctors might not even be aware of that GPs can do. Before we get into that, do you want to give us your credentials? Why are you qualified to talk about this pretty technical and niche subject today? Well, I'm a happily retired GP who spent 31 years as a dispensing doctor. And over that period of time, I developed an interest and one would say an obsession with dispensing. My interest started when I realized that you can either make a loss or a profit with dispensing. And I started reading up about it. I then was asked, to join the DDA, the Dispensing Doctors Association. And I've been a board member for about 15 years. And through the DDA, I've learned a huge amount and I've hopefully helped many dispensing practices with their queries. It is a very, very niche area with some unique regulations which require sometimes a bit of disbelief to understand them. But yeah, so that's me. I also ran a pharmacy on the same site as my dispensary. And so I have a knowledge of hybrid pharmacies, dispensaries, but I don't think we're going to go into that today. Yeah, you left something off your CV as well, which is that you've also kindly accepted our invitation to teach on the Medics Money GP Partnership course. And we're really looking forward to that. So five sessions this winter for those that are on the course, and we still have some spaces for the next cohort. And I'm sure you'll be adding that to your illustrious CV in due course. But let's just take a step back because we have loads of non-GPs who listen to this podcast. And I got an email the other day from an F2 who said that they listened to one of our quite technical GP business podcasts and they never realized how much 
of running a business being a GP was, and never more so with dispensing. But like, what is dispensing, right, in simple terms? Well, dispensing basically means you have a license to dispense medication to your NHS patients who are eligible for you to dispense to. So you have a model where you have primary care doctors who write prescriptions and they send them off to a pharmacy. And nowadays it's all EPS. And so that travels via the ether to the pharmacy. Pharmacist then dispenses the medication. Many, many years ago in rural areas, it was realized that pharmacists could not make a living in rural areas. So dispensing doctors were allowed to dispense medication to those patients. And so that's how come you have dispensing by doctors, which I must emphasize is a separate business. Yeah. Okay. So sort of the doctor is the doctor and effectively the pharmacist in a dispensing scenario in simple terms. Now, I am a partner, as you know, and we do not dispense. And I think the perception amongst people that don't dispense is that, you know, dispensing practices are a goldmine, basically. And then I got to see the accounts of some dispensing practices. And I was a bit surprised in the variability. So like dispensing doctors, is it a goldmine? And if not, why not? It's never going to be a gold mine, but it will be an added source of income if you run your dispensary properly. I'm sure you've had a look at some accounts where the dispensaries have not been run as effectively as maybe they should. So you can make a loss in your dispensing if you don't keep an eye on it. You would imagine that it should be a gold mine. And many, many years ago, it was very easy because Drug companies used to give huge big discounts and dispensing doctors didn't have to do much to earn a fair amount of money. But if you look at the earnings of GPs who are dispensing and non-dispensing over the last three to four years, the gap is narrowing. It used to be about 12,000 more per annum per dispensing GP. That narrowed right down to about 6,000 a couple of years ago. You just had the most recent earnings figures, which I think you need to treat with a little bit of caution because those are taken from accountants. And we all know about accountancy magic. I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes. But and in the last year, if you have a look at the figures, dispensing doctors made on average about £10,000 more per annum pre-tax than non-dispensing. And that's for running two businesses. Yeah. And I think the key point here is with a lot of services that GPs provide, you know, in rural areas, this service is absolutely essential. Otherwise, patients that might not be able to travel long distances would have to travel long distances just to get their basic medications. So this is a really valuable service for our patients and we need to support it and we need to make sure that these dispensaries are run as well as they can, which is why you're here. So let me just sort of go back a bit. I said that I was a partner, but I wasn't a dispensing practice. What's stopping me becoming a dispensing practice? 
Well, if you look at it very technically, every doctor is a dispensing doctor because every doctor can dispense personally administered items to their own NHS patients. And if you think of personally administered, generally that is any injectables, anything with a local anesthetic in it and stuff which you won't necessarily personally administer. These are all deemed personally administered by the NHS Business Service Authority. And so you are able to dispense and you would get reimbursement plus a dispensing fee for those. You cannot dispense non-personally administered items. So to become a dispensing practice, you have to be in what's called a controlled locality. A controlled locality is deemed controlled by the local health authority. And it's very vague because they say the area needs to be rural in nature. And that is open to interpretation. And we have seen over the past four or five years, some CCGs, as they were, trying to take away controlled locality from certain areas. If they take away controlled locality, you cannot dispense to any patients who are not in a controlled locality. So to dispense, you have to be in a controlled locality, and that gives you premises permission to dispense from your premises. Then any patient who lives more than one mile as the crow flies from a pharmacy, you can dispense to them as well. So it can get quite complex. And that's the basics. There are other little complexities to it. But I think that that should explain who you can dispense to and who can dispense. Yeah, definitely. Really good high level explanation of that. And I might be wrong here, but you could be able to dispense for some of your patients on your patch who live in the controlled locality, but other patients not or have I got the wrong end of the stick? No, no, that's absolutely correct. So if a patient in your area lives within one mile as the crow flies from the nearest pharmacy, you cannot dispense to that patient but you can dispense to a patient that lives more than a mile from the pharmacy. Yeah, starting to see why we need five and a half hours of your expertise on the partnership course, because this is not something that's well taught when GPs are training and it's so complicated and it's so important to get right, as you've already mentioned. So we talked a bit about, you know, how much a dispensing GP makes, and you said a ballpark figure was 12 and a half per dispensing partner, but maybe less. I mean, who gets that money? And let's talk about the tax issues that that can throw up. Right. You want to talk about the tax issues. There are many complications. So generally, the income from dispensing gets recycled within the practice to provide more services for the patients. That's what happens generally. Any profit, obviously, you're going to get taxed on that. You will have your superannuation taken off. So that can add to breaching your superannuation levels. Added to that, you have the whole issue of VAT. So every single dispensing practice is VAT registered. And if we want to go into the whole VAT discussion, which I will do during one of my webinars, it can get very complex and you can find that having the extra income can actually cause you 
you a little bit more of a headache. Not that we don't want the extra income. Yeah, VAT. I normally rest my laptop on Ed's VAT textbook because it brings my laptop up about, you know, four or five inches. So let's not get into the VAT. I mean, one thing that some people might be wondering is, you know, I go to the pharmacy and there's a pharmacist there who make sure that everything's accurate and dispensed properly and that the robot is doing its thing if they've got a robot. How can doctors dispense themselves? Is that safe? Well, very few doctors actually do take part in the act of dispensing. They delegate that to qualified dispensers. And that's written within the regulations that they have the right to delegate that. And it's up to the GP to make sure that whoever they're delegating that act of dispensing to is suitably qualified, suitably trained, competent, and that they have all the risk management policies in place so that they can safely let people get on and dispense. If there are any issues or problems that arise from dispensing, the GP takes ultimate responsibility, exactly the same as the pharmacist. Okay. And we kind of alluded to this a bit before, but what are the advantages of being a dispensing doctor? Maybe we should break it down, the advantages to the patients and the advantages to the practice. Well, the advantage to the patient is it's a one-stop shop. And if you go to dispensing practice, the vast majority of them, the patient will walk in, have the consultation, and the GP will maybe use the prescription to end the consultation, as they often do. But in a dispensing practice, the GP would signal that the patient should be able to go around to the dispensary and collect their prescription. And most dispensaries are very, very efficient. And by the time the patient gets to the dispensary hatch or the dispensary, they are able to pick up their medication and go straight on. So it's a fantastic service for those patients. The advantages to the doctor, obviously there's financial advantages, but also I believe that a lot of dispensing doctors put a lot more time into learning about all the different drugs. And so they develop a broader knowledge of all the available brands that are there. They develop a knowledge of when it's best to prescribe by brand or by generic. So there are advantages clinically, and they also know what's in stock. So the patient can get their medication and they tend to stick to a fairly defined formulary. They don't often go off formulary. So those are the advantages. Yeah. Okay. And then the disadvantages. I mean, I can't really think of any disadvantages for the patients because that just sounds amazing. You know, see the doctor, get the prescription, pick it up there and then. But there must be some. And I think there are a few disadvantages for the doctors. Well, the disadvantages for the non-dispensing patients is that they ask, why can they not have that service? And to try and explain that is sometimes quite difficult, but the regulations are what they are, and we have to abide by them. The disadvantages, very, very occasionally, a dispensing doctor cannot get a particular item, and so they have to send the patient elsewhere to get their medication. The disadvantages for the doctor are that every single drug that is dispensed, the NHS takes off what's called a discount abatement. So the NHS takes 11.18% 
off every drug of 98% of all dispensaries. So when you get reimbursed, you get reimbursed the basic price of the drug, which is the drug tariff price or the DM and the Dictionary of Medicines and Devices price, minus 11.18%. Dispensing doctors do not have the benefit of having drugs zero discounted that our pharmacy colleagues have. So as you can see, it would be fairly easy to make a loss if you get less than 11.18% discount on your drugs. That does not seem fair, right? So basically, if you dispense a drug as a dispensing doctor, the NHS takes 11.18%. But if you're a pharmacy, they don't take that. That's not fair, is it? Well, there are a whole lot of drugs where they will take a percentage and they've just changed how they're going to do that for pharmacy. But there are an ever-increasing number of drugs that now have zero discount taken off. And I'll give you an example. Freestyle Libra, fantastic device, really revolutionizing diabetes care. 35 pounds a pack, a patient needs two packs, that's 70 pounds. If the dispensing doctor dispenses that, they will lose about eight pounds on that. The pharmacy, because it's zero discounted, would lose nothing. So that is unfair, but the DDA have been trying to sort this out for many, many years. It all goes back historically to when dispensing doctors were getting huge discounts on most of their drugs. And so the NHS said, oh, hold on, we'll take a bit of that. You guys are earning too much. So that discount abatement scale has not changed in the last 15, 20 years. Wow. I've gone off my idea of becoming a dispensing doctor, actually, to be honest with you. It's, I mean, it is really complicated. And that's why it's really, really important to get the right knowledge and training. It's not something that's often well taught. And that is why we're really, really pleased to be working with you and your colleague Ankit on the Medics Money Partnership course. So that's one way that you can help dispensing doctors. But give me some other ways that you can help and maybe some sort of quick tips and wins for dispensing doctors and looking at your freestyle Libra dispensing looks to be tip number one right now from where I'm sat. Well, you shouldn't really send any prescriptions to the pharmacy because you're a dispensing doctor, so you should dispense to your patients. You will dispense a certain amount of medication at a loss, but you then have to look at those that you need to dispense at a profit. And this is not a Tesco business. You can't run it like any other business. So you have to accept some losses and you have to try and make profit where you can make profit. The big tip I would say is get engaged. The biggest issue I come across is apathy and ignorance from the GPs. So a lot of them don't want to get involved because it sounds complex and it sounds as if it's just another thing that they're going to have to sort out. And so they leave it up to their dispensary manager or practice manager, and they should also be getting a lot of the education for this. And the biggest tip I would give to practices is sit down and work out your formulary. If you don't have a formulary, then you need to sit down and work out what is a dispensing-friendly formulary. It also has to be NHS-friendly and obviously patient-friendly, patient-friendly number one. But you need a 
prescribing formulary and a dispensing formulary. So it gets a little bit more complex. And I'll be going into this during my webinars, giving hints and tips as how practices can improve their bottom line. But it is complex, but people must get engaged with it. And you do need at least one GP to be actively involved in the dispensary, not to just be a passive bystander. Yeah, really good tips there. And I'm so excited to be working with you this winter on the webinars. As I say, it's a massive gap in our knowledge and that's because we're not taught about it. And so it's great to have experts like you. I wonder if for the last five minutes I could use your wisdom and experience because you know there's a lot of negativity around in gp at the moment and it's pretty tough being a gp at the moment but what my more experienced colleagues say is that you know it goes in cycles and things get really bad and then they get good again you know with the benefit of your was you say 31 years yeah uh, you know, what, what's your kind of feeling on where we're at in that cycle and what's happening in GP right now in, compared to what's happened historically? Because we've been here before, right? And Yeah, th there is a five-year cycle. So every five years, my belief is that someone in Whitehall says, well, we need to create some more jobs. So let's restructure. So they start the restructure. And in my area in Norfolk, I think in my time, we went backwards and forwards between four organizations and one organization five or six times. So there was the one PCT, then four PCTs, then CCGs. Now you've got the ICSs. It's just a restructuring, supposedly to bring about greater efficiencies, but that doesn't always work. I think you just need to keep your head down, look at the clinical side. Obviously, you've got to look at income as well. So there will be certain areas. The quaff was the big one. But that seems to be heading to the back burner now. And everyone, they basically get you to do stuff, pay you for it, and then over time withdraw that payment and expect you to continue doing it. And just accept it. It's not worth fighting it. What I did every five years myself, I tried something new. So I became a trainer. So I did training for a while. I did a bit of acupuncture for a while. I did minor surgery. You know, so find something that really enthuses you and do that because otherwise the job can drag you down. There is pressure. There's huge pressure from patients and there's internal pressure from yourself because, you know, we all doubt ourselves and think one day, you know, we're going to be found out that we don't know anything. But you've got a huge amount of knowledge. Use that knowledge. And also the one thing that really changed the way I practice in the last 10 years was getting a nurse practitioner, a fantastic nurse practitioner, and allowing other people within the clinical team to take on responsibilities, such as reading all the letters and actioning all the letters. So I only saw two or three letters a day, checking all of my results. So I only saw 
three or four results a day. But you have to find the right person who's able to do that. And that will take a huge amount off your workload. That's my tip for the year. Amazing. And definitely echoes what we find on the course, you know, accepting and realizing that people other than GPs are the best people to see. You know, if you've got a shoulder injury, is it best to come and see me or the physio? The physio has been training for years. So expanding the multidisciplinary team outside just GPs has game changed our practice. And yeah, absolutely. Wise words and reassuring words, because like I said, there's so much negativity and I feel like a bit of an outlier because I've been a partner now five years, a doctor 15 years, oh my God, 15 years. And I still love it. You know, I still think it's the best job in the world. It has its challenges. And yeah, I think what you just said is hopefully reassuring. Looking forward to the next five-year cycle, although they've kind of overlapped because we still got PCNs on the go for now, which was like the first five-year project. And now we've got the ICSs and they've actually overlapped. So that's a novel way to do it, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think someone seems determined to keep PCNs and because the ICS will become an at-arm's-length body and the PCNs will take responsibility for everything. And the NHS relies on GPs' goodwill to run these organizations. But, you know, find something that really enthuses you, get on with it, be it minor surgery, women's health, skin, whatever it is, just make that what you really enjoy doing. And the patients are great. You know, if you look at the patients, the vast, vast majority of them want your help and are very grateful. You obviously get the odd patient that you think you never wish to see again. But even the heart sinks can be, if you know how to deal with the heart sink, your life will become a hell of a lot easier. And I don't know whether you do a, a session on heart, dealing with heart sinks, but if you do, I would encourage everyone to have a listen in and take on board how to deal with heart sinks. Yeah, absolutely. So good to speak to you today, Philip. I'm really excited for your coming on our course. We still have a few spaces remaining. It's not just for new partners, it's for practice managers, it's for physio, all partners. And there is PCN funding available as well. A good thing about yeah. the PCN there. Really looking forward to it. Thanks so much for your time, Philip. Catch you soon. Thanks, Tommy. Bye.